0: Today, we're going to continue kind of the theme this time of year of calling. Last week, we talked about a call to baptism because of the way that Christ prepared for us. And simultaneous with the call to baptism, to know and be marked as a child of God is the call to be part of a community. And one of the areas that we experience a lot of anxiety as human beings and as I think as Christians is trying to figure out what it is that we were placed on the earth for. We're always looking for this. It doesn't matter if you're if you're young or you're you know in the middle somewhere or you feel like you're getting older. This is we ask this question our whole lives. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I am I in the place that God would have me? And we ask these questions about calling. Well, if I missed something that God was calling me to, and, and we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I think one of the things this story uh, sort of lays out for us or invites us to consider. Is that the burden of calling lies not only with the individual, but with the community? So part of your calling and part of my calling can only be discerned in the presence of other Christians. It's not strictly up to me or strictly up to you to find our own individual course through the Christian life, but we depend on the observations and the intuitions and the promptings of others to listen for the voice of Jesus, especially, I think, in the context of calling. So if you'd like to follow along uh, everything today, we're right here in the first chapter of John. And the first chapter of John is a magnificent piece of work. It's a beautiful introduction to Jesus. John, as you know, doesn't spend time with the birth narrative. He doesn't go through genealogy. He doesn't do all of that. He just starts out saying, in the beginning, just like Genesis starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word." He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And shortly after, we have in in verse 9, the true light that enlightens every person was coming to the world. I love that verse. That was the verse that kind of John Wesley loved to talk about when the early Methodists were, were trying to recover the understanding of prevenient grace. The grace that goes before us. This was an old idea. It was an old piece of theology, but Methodists really helped to recover it to say, no, every single person that walks on the earth has the grace of God. You don't have to be a member of a church. You don't have to be a believing Christian to possess God's grace, but there is a a part of God's grace that goes before us. Before we ever believe, before we ever care about God, God is already there giving his grace to us. The true light that enlightens every person was in the world, right? God's grace is everywhere. God's grace can be picked up in any way. There's no limits to the ways that people can experience God's grace. So it's a beautiful thing. And John just says God's grace is everywhere. It's all over the place. Then he goes into this little lament where he says, you know, Jesus was in the world, and the world was even made through Jesus, and yet the world did not know him. But the world missed it. Here Jesus was right in our presence, and we missed it. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And uh, so I kind of want to start the sermon today with an invitation to sort of, and you may, if you're a pencil person, you may want to write this down. You may just want to make a mental note of it. But it's, it's an unusual way to begin. But it was sort of necessary for my own heart, And I'm going to invite you to join me and kind of move along through. But as we approach this subject and we approach this chapter, there is this simultaneously this big open call to grace and also the reminder that it's very natural for us to miss grace. And I, for one, miss it all the time. I miss the coming of Jesus in so many ways. And so it just seemed uh, like something that would be appropriate to kind of begin the sermon with a confession of just saying, you know, Lord, we miss so many ways that you are present to us, and inviting God to continue calling, to continue asking, knowing that He is good to do that, and uh, we will encourage, and through one another's presence, we'll we'll make it. So I invite you to pray with me, maybe your own version of of this prayer, just a simple prayer of confession for the ways that we miss God in the world. So heavenly Father, uh, we come to you now, and I for one uh, confess for the ways that I miss your presence in the world, and as we Lay this burden down at your altar. Would you continue to speak and bring your grace to us? Would you overwhelm us with your goodness in this time and in this place as we continue our journey this year of following you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get to spend a little more time with John the Baptist today. It's, it's fascinating and it's fun to think about. You know, here's at the same time he's saying, you know, Jesus was in the world and the world missed him. And then John over here, though, is going, Jesus was in the world. And as soon as he was in the world, John knew it. He had been watching and waiting for the Messiah. And he knew that there would be a Messiah. And God had told him, you're preparing the way of the Lord. You know, you're like the prophet and you're supposed to be making straight the pathway and all that stuff. And so John knew he's like, hey, as soon as I see the spirit descend on someone and they're baptizing and all stuff, I'm going to know. And sure enough, Jesus comes along. We talked about last week. And, and John's like, oh, my goodness, this is the person. It's, it's crazy to think John didn't know who it was. He knew he was looking for a Messiah, but he didn't know who it was. And so Jesus comes along, and now John has a name and a person for this whole category of the Messiah, the one who would save, and he has identified him as Jesus. And so he celebrates that. The next day, he sees Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I said, hey, after me comes someone who ranks before me because he was before me. I didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So Jesus has been revealed. People missed it. And John's saying, hey, we get another shot. I know I recognize him, and I'm going to invite you to recognize him too. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Real quick note on the Lamb of God. What in the world is the Lamb of God? We sing a beautiful song to start the service celebrating the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb who was slain, who takes away the sin of the world. And for us as Christians and in Christian art throughout the centuries, the Lamb of God is a very familiar phrase. And we get that. We're like, worthy is the Lamb. But can you imagine like someone who didn't grow up in church or whatever, what are we talking about? This is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world? How, what is that? In the Jewish mind, they understood that for there to be salvation, for someone to be saved, for someone to be forgiven, There had to be a sacrifice. And so John is saying, behold the Lamb who is provided by God. Look what God has provided for us to atone for our sins, to take away the sins, not just my sins and your sins, but for all who would believe, right? This is the sin of the whole world. Behold, this is the one. So as we... Look at the response and and what happens to when when this Lamb of God is revealed to the people. Uh, I'm going to invite you today to consider again. Maybe you're an on paper person. Maybe it's a mental note. But I'm going to invite you to consider um, identifying one desire, one person, and one practice. One desire, one person, and one practice. And I'll elaborate a little bit on each of those. But one person. One desire and one practice. And this comes from the story where John is telling us about Jesus coming along. And we see that when, when, when Jesus was there and John reminds everybody, this is how I knew it was him. I recognize him. Here he is. I'm happy to be able to share him with you. In verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So we know there are two disciples. Uh, we know they're following Jesus, and we know one of them in a minute is named. One goes unnamed, and one is introduced to us as Andrew. So we have, a, we have a guy named Andrew, and we have an unnamed disciple, and they begin to follow Jesus. So these are John's disciples that now leave John and begin to follow Jesus. And so this was very common. Many of the earliest followers of Jesus were people that were previously disciples of John. They were looking for God. They were trying to follow the ways of God. But they needed that full illumination to know what their lives were for and what they were about in this work of ministry. So they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around and he says something to them. He turns around and he asks them a question. These are the first words that we see Jesus saying. And Jesus, we know now, is the main character of the story. How many of you would be able to identify maybe your favorite novel or your favorite movie, and you could tell me what the first words were that were said by the main character? You just think about that for a minute. Um, So the first thing that Augustus McCray says in Lonesome Dove is, uh, let's see, how does he say it? You pigs get. Now, you pigs you pigs get is really not saying anything except it gives you a little bit of the he's a cantankerous character who wants to have fun, and the pigs are interrupting his porch time. So he's aggravated. He said, You pigs get. Now that doesn't tell us a lot about the person, but it's just something usually the first words out of a main character's mouth are very important. And I think in this story it's definitely the case. The first thing Jesus says, he notices two guys are following him, and he says, What? Are you looking for? The first thing that Jesus says is a question. What are you looking for? It, it reminds me of the great U2 song from the 1987 album, The Joshua Tree. You remember? And he says, "I've I've seen the highest mountains I've climbed. You know, I've scaled city walls. I've run through the fields only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't." It's a song that you could sing in church very easily, and you wouldn't know the difference. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Bono captures there, I think, as well as anybody ever has, our core desire to be constantly searching for God. Even when we find God and we find God in a community, we're still always searching. We wake up every day and we go to sleep every night, burning to know God. Sometimes we are in touch with that desire more times than others, but we're always longing. And so Jesus asks, what are you looking for? Isn't that beautiful that the God of the universe would just turn to us and ask, what is it that you're searching for? What What is it that you're looking for? And, of course, he knows the answer. But then they continue this conversation. And they say, they answer his question with another question. They said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? In other words, we want to come and hear your wisdom. We want to know you. And so we're going to follow you wherever you're going. Uh, and he's aware what is it that you're looking for and so he replies to them when they say where are you staying he doesn't give them a location he just says well come and see right? keep following me come and see and those three words come and see are great that's a great mission statement for any church any group of people that have gathered are we ought to be able to say to anybody at any time and say well what are you guys about over there that that church stuff in Sweetwater and over there at First Methodist, what do y'all do what, and we ought to be able to say, come and see. Right? If you want to know what church is about, you want to know why we gather every week, why it's important, we ought to be able to say, come and see. It ought to be something of the quality of our gathering, something that we rally around, that we can't fully explain with words, that you just have to be there to experience it. And a big part of what we do and we gather, I think, is we pay attention to those longings. So the first thing I want to invite you to do today, uh, that I want you to make just a mental note of or an actual note of, is what is one longing that you could recognize that would point you to God this year? What's some stirring in your own soul that you could identify that would help you, that would encourage you to take a step towards Christ? So I've just been thinking about what is something this year that I can identify that would lead me to Jesus in a, in a way? What's what's something I've been noticing lately? What's something I'm recognizing and a friend or the life of a child or what's something that i pay attention to that's that awakens a desire in me to grow to be connected to christ because when we have a call to baptism to know that we're children of god we have the simultaneous call to be part of god's community god's family the church and I think that when we are looking for our own personal callings and we're looking at what am I supposed to be doing with my life day to day? What's my vocation Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, you know, seven to seven. A big part of that, I think, can only be learned in community. It can only be learned by living together. With a life that's centered around Christ and then other people begin to notice like, hey, Ryan, have you ever thought about doing this? And then I notice, hey. Bill, have you ever ever thought about that? And, you know, you're really good when when this happens. It seems to be a real gift that you have. Have you thought about developing that and sharing it with others in this way? I think we don't ask enough. We don't make enough invitations for people to step into leadership in the church to consider different ministries they can do. But it takes someone else sort of handing that mantle, you know, handing that baton, saying, I think you can run the next leg of this race. I think God's given you the gifts. Have you ever considered it? Somebody hands them the baton. They go, you know, I've never thought about that before, but I'll give it a shot. (laughs) That's how most of us get into the kinds of things that we do in the kingdom of God. I hadn't thought about that, but I'll give it a try. It would be great. It would be a gift if the pressure of calling and what do I do with my life, if some of that pressure was alleviated from our experience of being in community with others. If we knew that if our main goal was to be involved, was to belong to a community, then we know that a lot of the pressure, hey, it's not just up to me to hear from God, but I'm counting on y'all too. And you would know it's not just up to you, but you're counting on us. Amberly and I had this friend in college named Janae Watley. Uh, she's now Janae Igo, and she would be terrified if she knew I was telling a story about her. Um, but a uh, wonderful human being, soft-spoken, and uh, very sharp. We were in a Bible study one time, and and we were talking about this idea of, of belonging. And as but what does is, what is it mean to belong when you see that? that language. And so it came up, well, it's kind of like fitting in, you know, And, and Janae kind of perked up and she was like, you know, no, fitting in is the thing that we do from the time that we're in school. We're always trying to, we're always trying to fit in and it's never good enough. She goes, belonging's different. And she's, and Amber reminded me of this this week. She said, you cannot fail at belonging. Isn't that great? You can't fail at belonging. And she was right. You can't fail at being a part of a community. I mean, the only way to fail is to not be there, really. But you can't fail at belonging. That's one of the things that Christ is offering to us in the gift of the church, is you can't fail at that. And through that participation, we uh, we grow up in Christ, and we grow up in the other things that we've been asked to do, but it starts with this idea of belonging. And many people belong in a community of Christ before they ever believe in Christ. Some people will get involved in church before they ever really consider if they believe this stuff or not. So and and we're always in that process of developing and believing. So um, don't underestimate the value of belonging, of, of being here. And Along those same lines, uh, it's it's great when, uh, so they, they respond. Jesus says, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Now, most of the English translations don't pick it up, but the original language here is, He found his own brother. It's very intimate language. The first thing that Andrew did is he found his own brother. So the second thing I want to invite you to make a mental note of or make a note of is, um, in addition to what is one longing, what is one desire that I notice, uh, who is one person? Who is one person who has the relational proximity to you that you could say about them, my own brother, my own friend, my own co-worker, my own church family member, my own whoever it is in your life? Who's one person who maybe you could see standing on the outside of Christ and community that you might be able to, to invite, to welcome in, just to take one step in the direction of Jesus? Who's one person? My own brother, my own co-worker, my own friend. So I think so many times, especially in a place like Sweetwater, uh, it, and it's not that there aren't people that live here that have never heard the good news of Jesus. I know there are people out there who live in some part of town, and they've just never, never heard of, of, of Jesus. They've never heard the story of Jesus. They've never heard that God loves them. And uh, maybe they moved here from another country. Maybe they grew up here and no one ever told them. They just they missed it. So I know there are people like that around here. But the majority of us who are unreached at times in a community like this, I think it's less of unreached, like we've never heard of Jesus, and it's more unconnected. It's someone who has heard about Jesus, but they don't know how to put the X's and O's together. You know, they've never made the connection to how does this grow and develop. It's like you're standing there holding a package of seeds from the feed store but no one's ever showed you how to farm. You, you just kind of, you're just sitting there with it going, well, I've heard about it. It sounds good. I've just never seen it grow anything. So we we need others to invite us to that kind of life. The local church is charged with inviting others, making invitations to others to take steps of faith. Because I think people are ready to take steps of faith, but you know who they want to be invited by? They don't want to be invited by me. They don't know me. They don't trust me. They want to be invited by you because they know you and they trust you. And there are people in my life who are waiting for me to invite because they know me and they trust me, and I can make that invitation. Uh, But, we, you know, everywhere we live, all the places around the world, we have a unique fabric of life, and we're always wanted to, you know, as Christians we have unique practices that set us apart, and we're inviting people to participate in those. I found a funny one this week. uh, I think we need to kind of put into play at Lake Sweetwater next year Um, Tyler do we have one of those slides from Russia this is a this is a this is a church activity okay this is a this is Russian Orthodox these are our brothers and sisters that uh worship the same God that we do the same Messiah and there they are in in Russia and around this time of year when it's freezing outside they remember their baptism and this is how they do it so They'll they'll either do it like this which just looks like a lot of fun. That's why I'm thinking we could surely on the coldest day of the year go do something like this next year. Then that other slide you can see where they've taken in on a frozen piece of ice and they've cut out a hole and this is a it's like a baptism tank. They get in there and they remember their baptism and woohoo. And you can see the guys standing around with their hats and everything and you know it's like I know there are people who argue that they're relational or relational health benefits to going in freezing cold water in the winter, but I, I, I'm probably not going to find that out. So um, this this just occurred to me. It was like, this is one of those funny things. Like, we don't do that here, but there, that's something they can invite people to, and it's probably something they write down in their journals. Like, this was the moment that I knew that God loved me. I jumped in the water. I came out, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I remembered my baptism. But Anyways, people need invitations, real invitations from real people uh, to consider taking a step of faith. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for me to invite them. All right, so finally, we're paying attention to one desire. We're paying attention to one person. I also want to invite you to pay attention to consider one practice. What's one practice this year? And it may be a practice that you're already in the habit of. That's 100% fine. There are practices that we are called to as Christians that help us stay connected to Christ and connected to one another, and these practices are things like prayer, uh, things like reading scripture. They're usually things that we do in community and by ourselves, and it kind of takes both of those. It's like when I'm, if I only prayed when I was here with you in church, then my, my prayer life, the well of prayer would be pretty shallow. It just wouldn't be enough time, but it takes both. It takes gathering and sharing the prayers with all of you, and then it takes praying when we're driving down the road, and when we're, when we're up in the morning, we're going to sleep at night. So maybe for you it's, it's, it's a, a certain prayer practice or maybe it's reading a, a passage of Scripture at a certain time of day. Maybe it's pausing during your lunch break for five minutes uh, to pray at a time you normally wouldn't pray. I don't know what the practice would be. Maybe it's something to do with uh, gathering with a, a group of other people to read something or study something or uh, listen to God together. But it may be a ministry that we already have at this church. And it may be one that we need to start. So what is one practice that we can be a part of that will bring us closer to Christ and help us take those steps? And uh, the last thing I want to say just kind of about that, about practice, uh, as the band comes to uh, lead us in our, our closing songs, um, I noticed I was reading this week that this word where uh, it's, it's translated stay because it's just an ordinary word, but I think this word foreshadows something that John says about 15 chapters later. It's right in the middle of his, um, his swan song. This is when Jesus is saying his last words to, to his disciples right before he dies. Uh, we call this the farewell address. And it's right there in the middle in John 15, but in John 1, and you can hear it. He says, come and see, and they came and saw where he was staying. Because that's what they asked, where are you staying? And then it says they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed. I think John's using that word, this idea of staying or remaining. Or many of our Bibles translate in John 15 as abiding. What does it look like for us to abide, to stay in Jesus, to stay with Jesus? And this is a this is a farming metaphor. This is a uh a gardening metaphor and you can hear it when Jesus says in, in, in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the farmer. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of, of mine that bears no fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide, or remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I confess that I try to do many things apart from the vine. I try to do many things apart from abiding, apart from staying apart from remaining in christ and when i do that when i try to do things even in jesus name apart from the vine nothing grows fruit doesn't grow and it's just like in farming sometimes you don't notice the health of your soil or the health of a plant until well into the growing season and now during this growing season it's already time to start thinking about the next growing season so when we evaluate our lives and You know, are there things that we're trying to do, even in the name of Christ, and we're trying to do them without abiding in the vine, without remaining, without staying connected to Jesus? So what's one practice, what's something for me, something for you this year that would encourage us, that would keep us abiding, that would keep us remaining connected to the true vine, that God could give his grace to us, so he could give us joy, and that we could begin to share that with others? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the call to be a part of your life. And we thank you for the ways that we do that through this community we call the church. Would you open our eyes and open our hearts to some simple things that we can do this year that would avail ourselves to you? Would you teach us to abide? Would you teach us to be connected to you, that you might bear much fruit Through us, we ask it in Christ's name.